0: Ray, for this week, there was another debate happening with the presidential candidates, the the Republican candidates. That's right. Have you been following any of the presidential race so far? I mean, I know Election Day is still a year away, but...
1: Right. (laughs) Right. I know. Well, yeah, it's still early days, but the whole thing has been completely fascinating. I'm fascinated by... Donald Trump. I'm fascinated by the fact that uh, Carson is now ahead of
0: Trump. Yes, he is. Yeah. I don't he's know what the surgeon. I,
1: yeah, and I don't know what spurred that. I don't know what. I don't know what the tipping point was there. For well,
0: that. he's ahead in Iowa, and Iowa likes reasonable uh, speakers. They don't want a loud guy from Queens who is a megalomaniac. Which isn't to say that Ben Carson is not a megalomaniac too, but he comes <laughs> off as a little bit more measured and more reasoned. And I think he speaks the same language of Middle America. And he used to be very celebrated as a surgeon. And um I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. And where's Carly? I feel like Carly Fiorina has
0: dropped sort well, of Well, there's all those lies and stuff. And right. All the, you know, that kind of sullied things, I think, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> But it's tough because there's like 15 candidates still on the Republican side.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, it's just
0: I couldn't keep track of them. At one point there were like 17 or something like that. I
1: didn't even know our own former governor George Pataki was uh, was running. <laughs> you know, he got relegated to the kids' table with uh, you know, Bobby Jindal and those guys. He wasn't even allowed to stand up with
0: <laughs> Trump
1: and everybody else. I thought, "My god, I didn't even know he was
0: running." Well, I'm just so curious about how all these campaigns are being run too because Donald Trump, his campaign seems to be just be as loud and ridiculous as possible, right? Which kind of seems like it's stealing the campaign style of Chris Christie. Because now, what's Chris Christie supposed to do?
1: Right. Well, I think he he can just run on a platform of um, I don't know sh- shady dealings and uh, <laughs> right. But <laughs> Chris Christie can be like sort of the, bo- the the like like the new Boss Tweed. That's 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 what that's what he could be. I don't know Trump. I just I just don't know how how do you, I don't see how you get the, the the national vote by insulting the Mexicans. I just I don't feel like it's
0: a winning strategy. That's just me. Well you know Bush isn't helping things because Bush when he was talking about anchor babies and then somebody's like, what? And he's like, oh correction. I'm not talking about the Mexicans. I'm talking about the Asians. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody in this room is upset right now. Let me just walk that back.
1: Uh good job. Well <laughs> We have, uh, we've got a couple of politically-themed movies this week, and I'm not talking about Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse.
0: Oh, well, that could be um, an allegory, though.
1: <laughs> could be an allegory. <laughs> Zombie movies are always allegories, as we know. Yes, they are. Uh, but we've got uh, Our Brand is Crisis, with uh, Sandra Bullock and Billy Bob Thornton playing American political consultants who go into Bolivia and try to use their dirty tricks to uh, get their horses out in front in the race. And we also have... Truth, which is a journalism movie, but it's the story of Dan Rather and his producer Mary Mapes when they were blindsided by a report that they did on President Bush's uh, service during the military, it backfired very badly. A story that quickly became politicized uh, during an election, uh, during election time. So we've got those, and uh, and then as I say, Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse,
0: plus a very special review of Burnt, the new Bradley Cooper. I'm a celebrity chef sort of movie.
1: Yes, we're going to do our own version of Burnt, just as we did with Gem and the Holograms last <laughs> week. We will not do this every week, but these two movies seem particularly... They just start
0: asking for it. It,
1: just, it seemed like they were asking for that, that, the spoof treatment. Um, we'll talk about all those and more in a minute, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rayford Guzman, movie critic for Newsday.
0: And I'm Kristen our culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date.
1: Kristen, tell us about our brand is crisis.
0: well, in our brand is crisis this, this by the way, is inspired by another movie that came out in two thousand and five. Uh, that was a
1: documentary that that was a real story.
0: Yes, but this is only kind of inspired by it. we right? have We have a political consultant played by Sandra Bullock. She's playing a character named Calamity Jane. She is kind of crashed and burned. Her campaigning life hasn't been going so great. She's now living a reclusive life making pottery in a cabin. But She gets lured back into the game because she's offered a lot of money to help a candidate in Bolivia. But then while she's down there, she also happens to run into another rival, not just another candidate who's fighting her candidate, but another campaign consultant played by Billy Bob Thornton, and they have a really sticky history as well. Here's a clip. Jane Bodine.
2: How are you, honey? So what are you doing here? I thought you retired or gave up or something. No. Not retired, working.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. You're lending a hand. Mm, nice. You? Same thing. Yeah. I'm just uh, doing a favor.
1: But you good otherwise?
2: Couldn't yeah. be better. to yeah. yeah. Enjoying this uh, dog and pony show. Huh?
1: Now, Kristen, uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays Pat Candy. And it was uh, it was difficult what for that me. Name? Yeah, it's a, very, it's a great name, actually. And he's this kind of uh, lascivious, leering, uh, foul-mouthed character. A lot of uh, he's got this kind of strange sexual aura that he exudes throughout the film. I wasn't quite sure if this was trying to be Mary Madeline James Carville or what? Do you, do you feel like there was sort of that kind of dynamic going on there or what?
0: That dynamic isn't what really confused me the most because there were so many other things in addition to that that you could be confused by watching this movie. Okay, so, like what? So first of all, just Sandra Bullock's character, Calamity Jane. I didn't know what she was supposed to be. At first I thought she was just playing miscongeniality Congeniality before the makeover or... Uh-huh. Uh, you know all those romantic comedies that she's been in, and yeah. all, not not just the romantic comedies, but it's a very common thing where Sandra Bullock is in need of a makeover. She's kind of rough. Right. She eats right. a lot of junk food. She falls down and throws up a lot. Smokes and,
1: too much. Drinks. Yeah. She's, a, she's yeah.
0: She she does that thing, and that's kind of what they did with her in this movie at the beginning, and she was just a hot mess. And then suddenly she's supposed to be very powerful and good at campaigning. But then this is point number two that I got confused by: is this? campaign actually clever? I don't feel that any of her tricks are actually <laughs> right. something that are supposed to make me go whoa. Right. I never saw that coming. Ooh, isn't that a clever campaign trick? Only think... once in the whole film did I see real strategy where I was like, now that is clever. Right. Uh yeah, I think that was one of the
1: problems with the film is that I think you're expecting um these very authentic, real, behind-the-scenes, inside-the-war-room uh, kind of moments where you're really going to find out what it's like to run a campaign like this. And some of it just seemed like movie plot stuff. You know, we're going to distribute a fake leaflet. And that just kind of seemed like, nah. Eh. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I'm not super impressed or stunned by that. Just as you're saying, I you know, it didn't make me sit up and take notice. Um, And a lot of it seems like the kind of stuff that you've seen in many a political comedy before. Um, And I think this movie is kind of torn in three directions. I think it wants to be a very realistic look at politics. I think it wants to be kind of a a spoof and a satire and kind of a cynical one. But then I think it also wants to be a very feel-good drama about redemption and saving the wretched people of Bolivia, which I think was really a bad move on this movie's part, because when we get to that kind of melodramatic turn in the story where we're all worried about the plight of the Bolivians, I just don't feel like this movie has earned the right for that.
0: No, absolutely not, especially after that llama violence earlier. (laughs) It's like... You're trying to play animal cruelty as a joke, and then in the end, you're trying to win our hearts over. I, I just—I
1: mean, to me, the llama was just
0: slapstick. That didn't—I oh. wasn't. Were you were you upset by the llama? I just thought that it was completely off tone. If what you're trying to do is show us what's earnest and what's good and what the people are suffering through in this nation, didn't it didn't drive with me? The director—the
1: director is David Gordon Green, who did Pineapple Express, and I kind of feel like David Gordon Green likes weird tonal shifts. I mean, Pineapple Express was like that, right? That Pineapple Express was kind of stoner, funny comedy, kind of action comedy, kind of actual bloody, horrible violence. Mm. And I feel like David Gordon Green thinks that's cool. And I love the idea of that. But I just didn't think it jibed in Pineapple Express. And I don't think it jibes here either, really. I just, the movie can't find its footing to me, even though I thought Sandra Bullock was really good, and I thought Billy Bob Thornton was really good. But the movie overall, it just didn't work for me. I, I, th- I thought it was
0: n- not a terrible date, but not a great date. No, oh, I thought it was a terrible date, Raver. Oh, you thought it was a, you I thought thought it was was like a very bad, bad date. date. and Yeah, and just to circle back to what you said in the beginning, I don't understand what's happening between her and Billy Bob Thornton at no. <laughs> all in this no. whole movie. So that doesn't help either. Bad, bad date. Let's talk about another movie that's out this week. About Boy Scouts, I think. Or... I don't think we can say Boy Scouts. Um, is just it about Scouts. Girl Scouts? What kind of Scouts are these?
1: My, I think we're just going to have to call them Scouts, as the movie does, because I'm pretty sure that the Boy Scouts did not want to have their trademark name <laughs> in an R-rated zombie apocalypse movie where you've got, uh, let's say, certain body parts being mangled on screen. So my guess is we're just going to have to call them Scouts. And, of course, we're talking about Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse. Um, I would say this. That's a pretty great title for a movie. It sells the product, right? It's all right there in the title. You know exactly what you're getting. Indeed, three scouts who are uh, kind of growing out of their uniforms a little bit they're ready to kind of hang it up and go be with the big kids but they're not quite ready they go out in what might be their last camp out and meanwhile their entire town has been evacuated because there's been a zombie outbreak they go back to town realize what's happening they team up with a quote-unquote cocktail waitress from a local strip joint and now the four of them are going to try and save the day here's a clip
2: oh don't worry mommy daddy's here <laughs>
1: dude something's wrong with her look at her chest What's all over her?
2: No, no, that's makeup, dummy. It's a jungle theme. Oh wow, this is so hot. Oh my god! I... Ah. Oh my god!
0: Hmm. So stripper scouts coming of age. And cocktail I, waitress. Cocktail yeah, waitress. Yep. Yeah, and I did see in the trailer there were some. Butt eating scene. Oh, you saw
1: the butt uh, the butt eating scene. Yeah, okay. yep,
0: I sure did. So, so yeah. So is is it just wacky good fun? Is it supposed to be hilarious? Is it supposed to be scary? What would you say about this rafer?
1: I'd say this is your standard by the numbers horror comedy. It's a genre that I think we're all pretty familiar with at this point, right? Zombieland, Warm Bodies. We've seen this kind of stuff before. This one is marketed directly toward the teen crowd. So you've got a lot of jokes about sex. You've got some nude female bodies. You've got some Kind of uh, super gross humor, as I said, about uh, certain body parts being stretched beyond recognition. Let's say <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, if you grab onto something, you can be pretty sure that it's going to come off in your hand. Um, in this movie, I, you mm. know, it's it's the it's directed and co-written by uh, Christopher Landon. Uh, side note, he is the son of the actor Michael Landon.
0: Oh, I love that Michael I Landon. Oh, I know you know I'm a Little House girl. It's a
1: far cry from Little House in the Prairie. Let me tell you. <laughs> I uh, you know I don't mind a horror comedy. I just I thought this movie was a little crass and not very imaginative. And, um, you know, I would have liked to have seen the film try a little harder to give me some characters to care about the way that Zombieland did. I thought Zombieland was actually a really great, fun, kind of endearing film. I liked that a lot. Not um, as
0: good as Warm Bodies, though. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that liked, Zom rom-com. Yeah, you liked that better than I
1: did. Um, this one I thought was okay. Ty Sheridan plays the lead kid, and David Cookner is in this uh, very briefly as uh, Scout, Scout Leader Rogers, and he's pretty funny. But I I can't really recommend this. I think if you're a teen horror comedy uh, fan, maybe you'll think this is a decent date. Otherwise, uh, I think you're better off leaving
0: this one alone. All right, Rafer, we've reached... Our moment of truth. Ah! Oh, we certainly have. Yes, or have we? What is the truth? Question mark? I don't know. should truth have a question mark with it? They do (laughs) say the word truth a lot in the movie. Truth. They do. That's right. So truth is telling the very real story of what happened back in 2004 with 60 Minutes. Legendary CBS producer Mary Mapes, who worked very closely with Dan Rather for many, many years, broke a story on 60 Minutes about how george w bush thanks to some privilege and some phone calls got out of active duty in vietnam while he was put into these what's it called
1: uh that's the uh texas air national guard yes and uh not only that but he was put into what they call the champagne unit with a bunch of other well connected uh, sons of uh, uh powerful people and also some dallas cowboys were in the champagne yes. unit yes
0: yes And so while he was serving, or serving in quotes, he also supposedly was kind of missing out on a lot of stuff. He wasn't showing up for physicals. And Mary Mapes finds all of this out thanks to some leaked documents that somehow end up in her hands. And the history of those documents is very blurry, how authentic those documents are. That's blurry as well. She does have first-person testimony from people who at least one person admitted he made phone calls to make sure George W. Yep. Bush didn't have to serve in Vietnam. So she has some people who are actual legit people to help her in this story. But those documents, those keep on coming back to haunt her. And as you might recall, if you were following the news back then, this was all happening Right around the time he was running for re-election. Right. And so it was a very, very close race between him and John Kerry. And the 60-minute story, some people have argued, had a very real effect on the vote in America. Here's a clip.
2: They're going to start an investigation. And CBS wants to appoint an independent panel to take a look at how the story is put together. And I'm going to announce it tomorrow. (laughs) I'm going to apologize for the story on air.
1: Andrew asked you to apologize?
2: He didn't ask.
1: Dan, that's surrender. Now, Kristen, you actually worked at CBS for a while.
0: Yes, full disclosure, I sure did. I worked um, just just right there, right next to Don Hewitt. I didn't work in huh. Don Hewitt's office, but right outside his door was my desk, and Don Hewitt is the founder of 60 Minutes, and um, he sure was a character. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I'm just going to leave it at that Don okay,
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, you know you and i are 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 both uh, journalists, and we 're not exactly Mary Mapes types or Dan Rather types, but we 've been in the field for a while, and so I do think that when these um, movies come along, movies about journalists, uh, I always feel like I get my back up a little bit and i 'm always looking for you know what seems plausible, what seems implausible, most of the time. Whenever there's a journalist who shows up in a movie, he's always going to say or do something that I just kind of think, no, man, that's not how it works. That's not how this field works. Nobody would ever say that. Nobody would ever do that. Um, And it kind of blows the movie's credibility with me. Um, I never once felt that was the case with this film. I've never worked in television. But I thought this film was the most realistic portrayal of journalists and journalism that I have ever seen. I wow, thought this. Ever. I thought this film was so good about taking you into the in, into the, into the back offices, into the research, into the strategizing, the pressure, the rush. Um, you know those late night phone calls uh, that you're trying to make to get this story to put together. Um, you know, again, not that I'm an investigative journalist, but in my own way, I, I know that feeling and when the when the story breaks and it turns out that those documents are i think we can all say forgeries or at least not anything close to uh, verifiable when that's when that starts to come to light and basically the media scrutiny turns backward onto Dan rather backward onto Mary Mapes and her team it just turns into a horror show and i thought that i thought that this movie was like the worst living nightmare you could go through as a journalist. Oh, it's like absolutely. it's like the exorcist of journalist movies. It's just it's horrifying. Yeah.
0: And and she really thinks that she has all her T's crossed and her I's dotted. She really does. Yep. She's making every kind of phone call she can. She has authenticators working for her. She has people in the military. She has all of these real people. And you know, the whole story would have been so different. I just keep on wanting to scream, don't include the documents in this story. Right. Just include human testimony. Just include the guy who's saying I made the phone call so he wouldn't have to serve in Vietnam. Just have the other people. But who But
1: documents weren't. are always proof. And you can see why they went after these things. But they were the holy grail of the story. They, they you were. Know.
0: But, oh, I just wanted her to not include those. And I mean, of course, this is all 2020 hindsight, but you're right. screaming, don't include the documents in this story. Do not include them. You're all going to go down because these documents are so questionable.
1: Now, I saw this at the Hamptons Film Festival where Dan Rather was speaking and he did a a live uh, interview and a &A, uh, Q&A out in the Hamptons at Sag Harbor. And um, he insisted, as he always has, that that story was true. He has stuck by that story, and he has never—he has always said the story was true. The process was flawed. The way we went about it may have been wrong. Um, some of those—some of those facts may have been wrong. But he insists that the story was true.
0: So um, does Mary Mapes. I just talked with her yesterday because I was producing a story for the Takeaway with her, and she <laughs> insists when I talked to her on the phone, everything is true.
1: Did you feel, Kristen, that this movie? Uh, Vindicated, Mary Mapes and Dan. Rather, when I I, I spoke again at, at, out at the festival, I got a chance to speak briefly to uh, Dennis Quaid, who is also in the film. He plays mm-hmm. one of Mary Mapes's um, investigative reporters. Um, and Dennis Quaid is an actor in the film. He's not a writer. He's not a director. He's not responsible for the you know the, the larger picture. But he said that he felt this was their day in court. And and what did you think about that?
0: You know, it's interesting because I asked Mary Mapes that question yesterday when I was talking with her, and what she said was. There is nothing to vindicate.
1: There's nothing to vindicate. That is so interesting.
0: Because there, she did absolutely nothing wrong. I That's totally what disagree. Says. So I, I think that Dan Rather, what he was saying at the Hamptons Film Festival makes more sense to me. Yes, we stand by our story. No, we didn't use the best investigation methods. That's what you should be saying, right? Because I think... That, I, I, I think that that's the right answer there. And what I think also is really smart about this movie is it doesn't matter if you're Mary Mapes or Dan, rather, or a member of the public or another journalist. You can feel that the movie is balanced because I think Mary so Mapes, when I talked with her, she said, oh, it was so balanced. It was yeah. great. And the fact that she can feel that way and you can feel that way when you... Just said these documents are forgery, in your opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems clear to me. Um, I mean, and again, even if you don't think they are forgeries, um, it's, it's quite obvious that they should never have been used. They were yeah, they not, have they were, no provenance. No, they've got no provenance. And they were just completely dubious. Um, I thought the film was very even handed. Every time someone you know, delivers a, a, a speech about freedom of the press and the truth and the story and uh, all these things uh, and, and various conspiracy theories about Viacom and their ties to the Bush administration, somebody will step in and I think just cut them off at the knees and say, yeah, but you got the story wrong. You didn't you didn't prove it. You didn't prove your story. And it's true. That story was botched, and it didn't work, and that's what happens in journalism. And I think um, this movie oh. was just... was just I, I, I thought this movie was so good. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. And we should say... Um, Kate Blanchett, who plays Mary Mapes, amazing. Oh, Robert Redford, gosh. who plays Dan Rather, also very good, classy, totally believable, even though he didn't dye his hair.
0: He doesn't look anything <laughs> like him, but he embodies him somehow. I he totally agree. He like him. He's wonderful. I
1: totally agree. Great performance from Dennis Quaid, by the way. Yeah, um, and
0: Topher Grace, too. Topher I mean, Grace, I think Elizabeth every, Moss. Yeah, everyone's everybody great. Everybody who's in it is just terrific. And the one criticism I have of this movie, and this isn't exactly a criticism, actually, I just wonder how... Well, this is going to be received by people who are either, A, not journalists like us. Uh-huh. Are they going to find it too procedural? Are they going to find it too inside baseball? Are they going to actually enjoy this? And then I think also, if you're a politics person, you might like this, but you might feel that it could dive deeper into the politics. So those I might are the, agree. So those are the two things that I would say. And again, I don't mean these quite as criticisms. I just They're question marks in my head.
1: I think it's going to be interesting to see how this movie fares at the box office up against Spotlight, which is coming out soon. And that's the movie. That's the flip side of journalism. That's an inspirational story about the Boston Globe team that broke the Catholic Church sex scandal, the molestation scandal. Um, Also a great cast, um, uh, Michael Keaton, John Slattery, and Mark Ruffalo. Um, That's the feel-good version. And I wonder how these two films are going to do up against each other in terms of box office and also in terms of – Uh, Oscar uh, contention let's say Uh, it'll be interesting to see
0: but I do think Kate Blanchett's probably going to get an Oscar nod for this oh for sure she's just terrific for sure and Redford Redford
1: too very possibly
0: so in short I think we agree Rafer this is a terrific date I think it's a terrific date it's fantastic all right well stay with us because when we come back let's put on a show hooray I'm Kristen Meinser. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date. And we want to remind our listeners to visit our Facebook page because we always have fun stuff on our Facebook page, facebook.com Movie Date Podcast. But right now we have a piece up there about the 60th anniversary of the release of Rebel Without a Cause, which is this week. This is the anniversary. It's
1: amazing. One of my favorite, favorite films.
0: Oh, it's such good fun. It's so technicolor. It's so, in some ways, it's very dated, but in other ways, it really captures what it's like to be a teenager. And amazingly, I think most people don't realize this, the movie came out after James Dean died.
1: Yeah, I did not. I actually all this time had not realized that he had died uh, just a little bit before the release of that film. So that means that he was dead during uh, Rebel Without a Cause and for Giant as well.
0: Yeah, the only movie he was alive for was East of Eden, which he got the Oscar nomination for. Right. uh, So, yeah, go to our Facebook page and learn more about James Dean and about Rebel Without a Cause. But before you go to our Facebook page, you should listen to a certain audio play that we're going to put on. This audio play is about "Burnt," a new movie starring Bradley Cooper. Tell us about "Burnt."
1: Well, this stars Bradley Cooper as Adam Jones. Uh, a few years ago, he was a chef in Paris, the the, the rock star of chef of Paris. He had uh, drugs and alcohol and women at his beck and call. He flamed out, wound up in New Orleans shucking oysters, but now he's coming back to. London, where he's going to start a new restaurant and earn his third Michelin star. Here's a clip. People eat because they're hungry. I want to make food that makes people stop eating.
2: Living being stupid.
0: Cooking is an expression of who we are and right now. We're two stars, both of us. It's a two-star review. Now, we can keep on cooking and be interesting, but I want people to sit at that table and be sick with longing, and I need you to do it with me.
1: Now, this is not uh, 100-foot journey. This is not chocolat. This, uh, this is not even chef with Jon Favreau. This is a new, sexy, macho kind of chef that we're not used to seeing. Kristen and I have both seen this film, and we thought it would be, would be better to, instead of giving you our normal review, to give you our version of what Burnt is really like. Three years ago, Adam Jones was the hottest, sexiest chef in Paris. Women wanted to sleep with him, men wanted to be him, and everyone wanted to suck his lobsters straight from the shell. But Adam's career flamed out with drugs and alcohol.
0: Adam, Adam, there you are. You've been gone for three days. What are you doing out here on the street?
2: Oh, hi. Sit down and join me. Go, go, go.
0: What are you drinking?
2: Straight cooking sherry.
0: I presume it's vintage Chateau de Young?
2: No, fresh direct.
0: My God, Adam! I can't watch you destroy yourself. I'm leaving.
2: Go on then. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now Adam is back,
1: and he's ready to take London by storm. Hello, Tony. Well. If it isn't my old friend Adam Jones, the Keith Richards of restaurants, the Kurt Cobain of cuisine, the Charles Manson of mastication.
2: Now, Tony, I know I destroyed your last restaurant, but give me another chance. Together, we can obtain the holy grail of dining a third Michelin star. You've talked me into it, you charming rogue. Let's do this. But wait, who's this beautiful sous chef?
0: The name is Helene. And you've got your elbow in my velouté.
2: You'd like that, wouldn't you? Here, have a taste of my raspberry cranachan. It's better than sex.
0: Typical. Your creme fraiche is a little premature.
2: Well, give me ten minutes and I could try again. Sorry to interrupt, Adam, but one more thing. Did you know that Reese is still in town? Reese, my arch-nemesis, hand me my knives.
0: Where are you going?
2: To see Reese. This ends now. Nice restaurant you've got here, Reese.
1: Adam Jones, back from the dead. I heard a rumor you overdosed on a combination of crack cocaine and artisanal pickles.
2: I'm back, Reese, and I'm going for my third Michelin star.
1: Why don't you go back to whatever Panera you
2: crawled out of? You must be tired of living, Reese. I'm going to kill you! (coughs) Ow! Reese, you cut me! Good lord, Adam. What's that yellow liquid oozing from
1: your wound?
2: Some people bleed red. I bleed pure olive oil. This isn't over, Reese.
1: My god, he's jumped out the window. Is there nothing that handsome swashbuckler cannot do?
2: (laughs) Meanwhile, back at Adam's new restaurant... All right, listen up, you maggots. You'll address me as chef, is that clear? Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes chef. chef!
2: You, did you cook this beef bourguignon? Yes, chef. Don't you eyeball me, boy. I wouldn't feed this to my dog. You eat it. Yes, chef.
0: Adam, hold everything. The Michelin restaurant reviewers are here. This is my
2: chance. Everybody stand back while I create my masterpiece. Behold, oeuf faché avec pain blanc. So, it's an egg salad sandwich on white bread? Do not question me. Service. Take this to the Michelin reviewers. And now, we wait.
1: Adam, wonderful news. We have received our third Michelin star. Adam? Are you all right? You look strange,
2: almost like you're evaporating.
0: Adam, what's happening? You're vanishing into thin air.
2: Do not be alarmed, my friends. As a chef, I have now achieved a higher plane of existence. I'm transforming into pure flavor. Goodbye, mon ami. Goodbye,
0: Adam. Goodbye. Goodbye. So that's our review of Burnt in the form of an audio play. Special thanks to James Ramsey from WNYC. He uh, writes our newsletters and he also has a side career writing quiz questions for Ask Me Another. So you may have heard his name mentioned on air before.
1: Kristen, it's time to wrap things up with trivia. What was last week's trivia?
0: Oh, last week, in honor of Rock the Cosmo, the new horrible movie starring (laughs) Bill Murray as a guy who goes on a USO tour gone bad in Afghanistan, we were saying that this is not the first time that Bill Murray's been in a military movie. We played this clip.
2: Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, Training, sir! What kind of
0: training, son? Army Army training, sir! Army training, sir! And we asked you to tell us, what movie is Bill Murray in there, in that military? And we got a lot of right answers, including this one.
2: Hello, Kristen and Rafer. This is Mike Falso from Wayne, New Jersey. First Lieutenant, United States Army, retired. All I have to say is boom, chugga, lugga, lugga, boom, chugga, lugga, lugga. Stripes, baby. Have a great day. Bye. First
0: Lieutenant Mike, yes, sir, yes, Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir.
2: Good job,
1: Stripes, Bill Murray. (laughs) I knew somebody would get that.
0: Oh, gosh, a lot of people got that, including a lot of people who are too young to have seen it, which I think is very cute. They're like, oh, I think I've seen the box for that movie before. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this week, in honor of journalists in the movies, we're going to play a clip of a certain movie with... A journalist, and not everybody really thinks of this as a journalist movie, but it is.
2: Oh, hi. Where's uh, Mrs. Stanley? In her cabana, senor? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to meet it. her. Uh, that's cabana six, right? Cabana one. One, right. You would like something to eat or drink, señor? Actually, I would. Charge it to the underhill, señor. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, do you have any caviar? Si,
0: señor. Peluga, but it is $80 a portion.
2: Well, oh, then I better just take two portions of that. Uh, how's the lobster thermidor? I recommend it, señor. Good. That'll be fine. Bring two bottles of uh, Dom Perignon to Cabana One. Very good, sir. And put down $30 for yourself, huh? Muchas gracias, senor. the Nicest place.
1: That is one of my all-time favorite films. If you know that film, give us a call, 5717movies.
0: Or you can message us at facebook.com slash podcast.